The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. So, where did we leave off last Tentacle Tuesday? Hmm. Master Rune has left the police station in a huff, leaving behind a strange parting gift. I wonder what that was all about. Then we have our new character, the one who rescued Alex from the clutches of the cult. Interesting that they were able to apprehend her so easily. Now how could that have happened? Tis, tis, detective, are you missing something important? And then there's, of course, Detective Rogers. Mister is just a scratch leaving the hospital, not getting checked out. The detective and his partner are right to be concerned. Hmm? The cult is fully moving now behind the scenes. What shall we do? What shall we do? Well, first, obviously, I need to refresh your memory that this podcast does contain depictions of graphic violence, child endangerment, and, of course, naughty, naughty words. <laughs> now, let's sit back as we gear up for our next exciting episode of Detective Warren Stevens versus The Cult of Igyatsu. With Chapter 7, Encroaching Darkness. Master Rune couldn't help grinning to himself. Things couldn't have worked out better for him at the police station. Although he would have preferred if his little parting gift had landed into the hand of Detective Donaldson. Slipping out of his heavy robes, he dipped himself into a pool of cool, silver-like liquid. It seemed to shiver with an eerie green light. Closing his eyes and reaching out into the darkness, he wanted to feel, to touch his master. Ikyatsu the one who lingers between the worlds, crawling, slithering into those minds that were willing to accept his truth. A gong sounded. Rising back up out of the liquid, he wrapped a loincloth across his midsection and headed into the ceremonial courtyard. A large stone well encircled by a low ring of stacked granite sloshed quietly under the high tentacle-like archways all of them bending and twisting until they touched a large stone altar made of the bones of some long-forgotten beast. The black slurry in the well began to boil and churn under the flickering torches that hung in a mannerism most unnatural to the human eye. Grabbing a goblet hewn from the same bones of the massive beast and dipping it into the oil-like sludge, he turned and knelt before the altar of Sheklator. Mylan Nak Ikyatsu he said softly, bringing the cup to his lips, drinking the harsh, bitter blood of his master. He felt the course through his body like fire and pulse in the iris of his eyes. This ceremony, this would bring her, the one who had called him from his frailty into the service of their lord. From deep within the well, a rotting corpse rose, filling itself with the inky liquid. It congealed around the rotted frame like lips smacking the necrotic flesh forming until it rose well above even his head. Is it done? the voice asked. Yes, mistress. 
I have marked them as you wish. He answered kneeling into the hard stones that tore and pushed into his knees. And what of our servant? Has he come forth yet? No, but he should be here soon, Rune said. He was placed in a rather unfortunate conundrum that made it difficult for us. I see. And what of the girl? I have great plans for her. I have two of your children apprehending her now. She should be ready in time for tonight's atonement. The gong tolled again and a large figure approached out of the shadows, revealing the grim face of Detective Rogers. His eyes no longer full of joy or life, just a dull, cold blackness. Rune rose and waved for the man to come forward. He did so, kneeling before him and bowing his head to the earth. My lord, Tolan Rune smiled. You did well, my child. Do they suspect your true nature? No, he replied. Those fools have no idea. And then, smiling in a twisted satisfaction, as a matter of fact, Detective Stevens unwittingly handed us the girl by posting my brethren to guard the very girl he wants to protect. Rune let out a terrifying laugh. <laughs> Fantastic! This is beyond even my wildest hopes. Once more, dipping the goblet and raising it above the detective's head, dipping his fingers into the ooze, marking the symbol of Ikyatsu over the detective's eyes. Do you know what you need to do? Rune asked. Yes, my lord. Good. Rise now and go. Tim Rogers rose and slowly turned into the shadows. Rune turned back to the swirling mass and looked up at the cadaverous figure that had formed in the flow of the well. See, my mistress. He was swelling with pride over his accomplishments. But to his surprise, she frowned in disapproval. Don't be so self-assured, Master Rune. I have seen it. Your failure. The men sent to attain the girl have failed at the hospital. What? He said with a harsh bite. How is that possible? Descending once more, coalescing into the black mass of the liquid well. He has come, she said with a hiss. The mystic! This time, Rune frowned and stared into the pool. With his vision altered already, he could see beyond, to the events unfolding at the hospital. There, he could barely make out the long, thin frame of a man carrying the girl back into the hospital. Don't worry, my mistress. While he may complicate things, I don't believe even he can stop us now. For your sake. I hope you're right, Master Rune. Tolan Rune crushed the bone goblet into fragments and chucked them into the corner. They had come too far to fail. In a matter of a few hours, his adversary would be dead. His allies crushed in the mystic. He had a very special surprise for him. That little girl, Alex, would be even more useful than even he could have ever hoped. Geraldine Hicks let the screen door to Detective Stevens' house close behind her as she headed back to her beat-up Nissan Versa sitting in the driveway. She kicked the tire and immediately regretted it as pain shot up her foot and into her leg. Damn, that hurt. In truth, she was more mad at herself than Warren. She knew deep down she was barking up the wrong tree. Warren... Detective Stevens was still hurting from the loss of his wife and child. Besides that, they worked together. It would be unprofessional and God knows what issues could arise if things went wrong. And maybe that's why she still hung on to that option. He, he was safe. He was truly off limits, a no option. And that meant she couldn't get hurt. Getting hurt. She laughed. That she was good at. 
She sat down in the car she referred to as baby and ran her hand across the steering wheel. The charcoal gray dashboard was dusty. The floor was littered with the wrappings of a few bagels or pastries she would grab on her way to work. Sometimes she felt she lived in it more than her apartment. She looked at a couple pictures dangling from the rearview mirror. She watched them flutter and dance in the dying sunlight and grabbed them for a second. Why am I keeping these? She thought to herself. Ken wasn't coming back and Detective Rogers? No. It's time she started living. Moving on. Meet new people. Maybe find a lover. She looked at the time. She could go home, shower, and head to McCluskey's herself. If she timed it right, Warren and Rich would be long gone and she could forget about being a police officer for the night. She nodded to herself as if giving herself permission and headed home. It had been a long time since she had just gone out for the hell of it. Usually, she spent the nights at home with a glass of red and her cat Meander. She drove off and headed to her apartment. The battle over, should I dress up for Halloween or go when civilians raged in her head? She thought about how she could go as a sexy witch, but that's so overdone. A nurse? Definitely not. Too close to today's fiasco. Civilians it is. Inside her apartment, she flipped through her clothes and finally decided a long dark green dress that she usually reserved for Christmas Eve. It would definitely enhance her slender features and the green would make her dark brown eyes pop even more in the bar's dim lights. After showering and getting dressed, she smiled at herself briefly in the mirror. Jeff, Warren, you boys have no idea what you're missing, she told herself. Right, Meander? Neander just purred and rubbed up against her legs. Grabbing her purse and key, she decided to walk over to McCluskey's. This way, if she had a few, driving home wouldn't be an issue. McCluskey's was packed. She smiled as the country song, I Can Buy My Own Drink, blared across the room. Despite that, she still heard the familiar bang of a glass hitting the bar and sliding over to meet her. She looked up at Jacob with disbelief. He just smiled and pointed to the rafters above his head. There a sign read, Don't forget to thank our patron saint and ghostly bartender, Alice Rice, the original owner of the bar. She was able to know every face that had ever visited the bar and exactly what you drank. Shaking her head, she smiled, mouthing the words, Thank you to the invisible bartender. The song Whiskey Bar now overwhelmed everyone's hearing, making conversation a near impossibility. She began to think about how this was probably a waste of time and how she should probably have known better. It's a bar for crying out loud. It's not a great place for meeting men. She nestled into a bar stool and took a swig of the ice-cold beer. Damn, that tasted good. If there's a heaven, she thought, it must have a bar with cold beer. Warren would have just argued coffee. Damn it. There I go again. Stop it. Night out. Forget him. And just enjoy the evening. She polished off the frosty mug and immediately she heard another one sliding her way. She laughed. Ghost or no ghost, she loved the efficiency. She placed the tip money down on the bar and turned to face the crowd behind her. It was an assortment of men dressed either as zombies, Dracula, or some other overdone horror character. And the women were also predictable. The sexy nurse, the cat girl, the vampires. There were even a few sexy cops. Thank God I came in civilian clothes, she thought. She was actually a little embarrassed for them. Then someone gently tapped her on her shoulder and she looked over. A young man dressed in a light blue shirt and a dark tie looked over at her nervously. His black hair was slicked over, so it kept out of his eyes and away from his glasses. Yes, Hicks asked. Oh boy, here we go, she thought to herself. You're Staff Sergeant Hicks from the Montgomery Police Department, right? The young man asked. Well, mostly right. Tonight, I'm just Geraldine, Jerry for short. Oh, sorry, 
He looked down at his feet. He was definitely unsure of himself. Maybe she had found a hidden gem after all. No, no, it's fine. Do I know you? Only on the phone, the young man said, and then standing more upright, he uttered out loud, Kenny Morg, and now with the look of, Now do you know who I am, written all over his face. Mark, oh my God, it's a pleasure. Ditto, he said. Do you mind if I sit and have a drink with you? She looked at how crowded the bar was and then noticed a booth opening up at the far end. Grabbing his hand and then her beer, she said, Come, quickly. The two pushed through the crowd, just beating out a few other patrons. Sliding onto the wood seat, she smiled. So, you're the infamous Mark Walters of the Montgomery County Morgue. He laughed and pushed his glasses back onto his face. A waitress brought them another set of beers and a couple dozen hot wings. Thank you, Mark said, reaching for his wallet. No worries, the waitress replied. It's compliments of the owner. Well, at least accept a tip, the girl did, and headed back into a sea of costumed customers. So, Sergeant Hicks, the young man began. Please, Mark, Jerry objected. I'm off duty, and I don't want to think about work tonight. He took a hard swig and slammed down his glass. You too? Rough day? Yeah. I can't get that Thomas boy's face out of my mind. She paused and then slyly thought to herself, Stevens might not tell her what's going on, but maybe she could coax it out of Mark. That bad, huh? Worse. His mother was nearly split in two. The husband decapitated, and that little girl... He trailed off. Sorry, you said you didn't want to talk about work. No, no, I get it. You need the vent. And then she continued. Do you have any clue yet? Nothing realistic, or at least my boss says so. Hicks, I mean, Jerry, those people weren't killed by some kids on Flacca. They were killed by... And there his voice dropped off into a whisper. They were killed by something, something not human. Wait, what? Hicks gave him a look of, you've got to be kidding me. You don't believe me, do you? The young man looked down into the suds of his empty beer mug. Well, I mean, Mark, Hicks began. But he finished the statement for her. Monsters don't exist, right? That's what Steven said people would say. Wait, Warren knows about this? She wondered if that's why he wanted the Donaldson family relocated. Knows? He's insisting I cover it up. Come on, Warren wouldn't do that. And then, with a mischievous look, the young man asked, Do you want to see them? I can prove to you that I'm not lying. Won't you get fired? Hicks asked. Ha! Huh. Everyone has gone home, and I know how to disable the security system. No one will ever know we were even there. She shook her head and laughed. Sure. Why not? It's better than this overcrowded party. Hicks placed down a couple of twenties, and the two headed for the entrance. The morgue's hallway shimmered from the glow of the night lights. The white speckled marble floors gleamed, reflecting back the pale light. Hicks' high heels tapped, making her feel like a horse on cobblestone. Taking them off, she felt the icy cold floor run right through her stockings. Cold, 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 she said, laughing in a half dance that brought a smile to the young man's lips. Shaking his head, he asked, Do you want to lean on me? Put those back on? Nah, a woman likes to feel beautiful, so sounding like a thousand-pound horse does not adhere to that. Well, he said shyly, you are beautiful. The two paused. She began to ponder if Mark had really brought her here to see the bodies, or if he was looking for something a little bit more. This way, he said, opening a door and flicking on the lights. Several steel tables lay empty with medical trays and instruments lying next to them. 
The wall looked like a bank that had decided to install 30 separate safes in rows of 10. From the floor to the ceiling, each number to help keep track of a particular person or body. Walking over to the center row, he grabbed the steel handle and opened the door, sliding out a gurney-like tray that should be holding a body in a body bag. Instead, there was just an unzipped crumpled bag. He stood there looking dumbfounded. I, I don't understand, he said. At first, she thought maybe he was just playing a silly Halloween prank on her, but the look of fear on his face was too real for that. You're not playing with me, are you? Hicks asked. No. No. Mrs. Thomas. Her body. It should be... A large clang rang out from behind them. A long, spiderly-like woman who looked sewn together stood eyeing the two from behind one of the steel tables. I should be where? She said with almost a giggle. The young man looked pale, and Hicks reached for her gun and then remembered she wasn't wearing it. With a sneer and almost as if she was gliding, not walking, she walked past Hicks and over to the young man. Would you like to touch my breast now that I'm whole? I saw the way that you admired them as you inspected my body. No, no, get away from me, she frowned. Don't you find me attractive, boy? You're Ted. You can't, you... She began to laugh. <laughs> yes, I was dead. I was a naughty girl, and I was punished severely for my transgressions. She picked up one of the instruments on the tray and admired it in the fluorescence. Hicks became alarmed at how she held it. The look on her face was murderous. Grabbing something sharp to defend herself, she screamed over to Mark and then at the woman. Get away from him, Oral! Kill what? Kill me? <laughs> in a furiosity, she turned on Mark, stabbing him in the throat. The look of surprised horror written all over his face as he slumped to the floor. Mark! Hicks screamed and raced over to try to help him, but Claire grabbed her by the back of the neck and lifted her off the floor. Kicking like a cat and trying to dislodge herself from her iron-like grasp, she struggled. Claire spun her around with ease and looked into her frightened eyes. Oh, you poor suffering child. <laughs> Don't worry. I won't kill you. In fact, I was thinking about how nice it would be to have you as one of my sisters. The room spun wildly as Hicks did her best to keep herself focused. She couldn't free herself no matter how hard she tried. Her neck hurt and unable to draw air in, everything went black. Oh my my, this is getting interesting. Is this because of the scratch or is there something much more foul at play here, Detective Rogers? And Mark... After you were warned that knowing can lead to pain and suffering, you go and die on us. How delightful! And Hicks, you wanted to know so badly. Now it seems you've been hung out to perhaps die. <laughs> I mean, what does our dear, dear friend Mrs. Thomas mean? Make you her sister? She's not very nun-like, is she? <laughs> well, I guess we'll know more next week as we head to Chapter 8, Discovery. <laughs> <laughs>